0: You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry, with Renew Economies Editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world, Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider of the solar and storage industry, and Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights.
1: Hello and welcome to this very first episode of the Solar Insiders podcast for 2022. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm joined as usual as I have been for the last several years with Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, you made it through the summer holidays, the um, How is the Morris family? the Morris family is fine thank you Giles yes
2: we made it through we had uh, we didn't go far a little few little trips away managed to do some touring on the live wire as you do Uh, uh, a bit of time at home and then um, had a a lovely week in lockdown because my 18 year old got a dose Um, so you know like many families many families and, and friends and people I know you know we spent a little bit of time just you know sitting around, but uh, but all is well.
1: Well, that's good. Look, I'm feeling a bit left out because I feel like I might be one of the few people in the Northern Rivers region um, of New South Wales not to have caught COVID yet, So, um, and not really in a big hurry too because I still want to go down and visit um, my elderly relatives, or my mum at least, um, who will managed to get to see over the uh, Christmas holidays and uh, duck down to... Sunny Tasmania, which was very pleasant too, and uh, drove around the island in a rented Tesla, which was um, even more exciting. Lovely, lovely. That's that's a nice way, nice just zinging along in Tasmania. That's a nice way to spend a holiday. Well, I tell you what, with a, um, a long range Tesla, you don't get range anxiety anywhere in Tasmania, that's for sure. So, um, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's it's actually it's actually pretty nice. And look, there's actually not that many Teslas down there, so people still wave at each other. So um, you know, it's uh, rather than ignoring them as they as, as they do here. But um, you know, and um, look, interesting tonight, Nigel. I mean, we'll get onto sort of solar stats at the moment, but we might just as well just talk about electric vehicles since seeing as we've broached the subject. Um, a trebling of EV numbers in twenty twenty one. I do see that. Um, yeah, um, about 20,000 vehicles um, in the calendar year, 60% of them Tesla and just about all of those Model 3s, basically because it's a really good car. And basically because it's about the only one available, there's some other really, really good EVs out there, such as the um, Hyundai Ioniq and the Polestar and the EV6 from Kia, which is on its way. But um, good luck trying they get They're uh, being rationed. Um, you know, a couple of hundred of this and a couple of hundred of that, and that's it for 2022. So um, it's probably getting to the point where it's starting to get pretty frustrating for a lot of the people out there really wanting to make that transition and deciding at the moment is now.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. It, it, it's. Um, I, I I suspect there'll, there'll you know there'll be a another surge when we finally do get unbridled supply. But of course, you know, um, as um, Elon Musk said in his in his call recently to his shareholders, you know, they're, they're, they can't grow at the rate they wanted to due to supply constraints. So, um, you know, I don't know if it'll come this year. Depends how fast everything ramps back up and if the supply chain frees up and opens up. But, um, yeah, challenging times for, for all manufacturers, including Tesla.
1: Yeah, well, Tesla still sort of reckons it can do a 50% increase in production, so that'll be 1.5 million EVs this year. Um, it'll still come in and uh, deliver plenty to the Australian market, but the some of the other big ones, um, you know, a couple of hundred for Australia, that's um, that's getting ridiculous. And I think a lot of people are actually starting to think now that, um, you know, like EVs are still not very cheap. Um, they're still in the fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar mark, but people are still seeing, "Well, my car, my car's getting old. The price of petrol is getting really, really high. It's probably two dollars a litre, or getting pretty close to that." And what's more, the second hand market for um, petrol cars has got ridiculous. I just got a comp- an insurance quote for. My, you know, bunged out old um, Peugeot. And um, it's gone up in value 25% um, in the last 12 months, according to the RMA. And I can tell (laughs) you, looking at it now in the driveway from here, that is would not be the normal assessment of that vehicle. because um,
2: (laughs) I know that car. I've seen that car in the car park of the railway hotel with a lovely but very smelly and sadly long past old dog. In the back.
1: Oh, I know, I know. Well, look, just as when the dog wasn't sitting in the car two weeks ago, because I was on my electric electric lawnmower, my ride-on lawnmower, and I was just going up and down the driveway, and the lawnmower found a stone, and it deposited in and through the rear windscreen of the Peugeot. I couldn't believe it. I just heard a bang. I thought, of all the things it could hit from a distance of about 15 metres, it's gone into the back windscreen of the Peugeot, but at least it (sighs) wasn't the other car. Oh dear. oh, dear. I felt like such a Wally.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you're right. I mean, historic, historic vehicles have gone up hugely in value. And, and um, you know, I've just finished a two year, thousand hour restoration on my old vintage bike. Just got it registered as a historic vehicle the other day. And, um, yeah, uh, parts and services for anything in that space are, are crazy mm. at the moment.
1: Nigel, we're going to um, start talking about solar pretty soon. Otherwise, people are going to start we, typing out their complaints as as we as we speak. As we as speak, listening. that's
2: right. And I'm going to throw I'm going to throw in a little fact. Do you know uh, Do you know what date and year our very first episode of Solar Insiders was?
1: Now tell me about it.
2: August 2017, my friend. We're about to that's hit five amazing. years this year.
1: Fantastic! Five years of Solar that's, Insiders. That's a go? lot of it's a lot of banging on. Do you think someone will strike a medal for us, or a ribbon, or something, or a t-shirt, something, or something? something? I don't know. Something I think we it might be a, the. Year. Think we've still got a few t-shirts spare from last time. We could just sort of scrawl in the back of it or something.
2: <laughs> right, That's right. Five-year anniversary.
1: Speaking of anniversaries, Nigel, um, Renew Economy, ten years um, last no week. Way. Wow! Ten years. Ten wow. years. Yes, and. Um, And I was actually looking through the old articles that we published in 2012, and this is going to be really funny for the solar industry. I mean, they probably know the story quite well, but um, the Productivity Commission had just put its input into the government white paper. Remember, this is the Labor government at the time. And you know what their bold prediction for solar generation for 2050 was? 3% of total generation. And for 2030, it's going to be 1% of total generation. And of course... Just in the month of January, it was about 14% of total generation, and people now expect it to be 50% of total generation by 2050, if not more. So um it just goes to show that in one decade, things have come an awfully long way, thanks to um, our fantastic researchers, um, the manufacturing people, the installers, all the people who just sort of you know put their nose, to, um Nose to the on... grindstone. Mm. Known to the Christ, yeah, but isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um 3% solar by 2050. It just goes to show that was just um that was ten years ago. Just ten years ago. It seems like ago. only
2: yesterday. Seems like only yesterday, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs>
1: Twenty-one thousand
2: articles later,
1: Nigel. Twenty one thousand. Twenty
2: one what was the first article? What was what was the very first article about? What was the first story?
1: Look, I went and looked at it. It was actually about Solar. It was actually about this sort of um um. It was a funny little article. And I couldn't quite work it out. I said, Did I really write like that in those days? <laughs> sort of, you know, really. <laughs> There was a couple of sort of little snippet articles about a couple about some of the costs and the people slagging off solar because, of, you know, of it's abatement cost curve and stuff like that. And Productivity Commission talking about making more than a thousand dollars a megawatt hour, which was completely out of palpable nonsense. And we actually said so at the time. But the the first big themed article we wrote within um, the first two days, because I think we're just experimenting at the time just to see if the website actually worked. Um, was whether Australia would have its Kodak moment. And um, wow. um, it kind of has. There's still a few guys sort of working away in the dark room there with their sort of fossil fuel industry. But, you know, in so many ways, you know, the transition that we see in Australia and the transition that we're seeing over the next 10 years is going to be quite remarkable. So, you know, we've gone from like 4% to 34% renewables in that January 2012 to January. 2022. And if you think of January 2032, it's probably going to be pretty close. Well, it's going to be over 80%. It's probably going to be pretty close to 100%. Let's just say it's 94%. Because you have got 434. So, you know, almost like a, more than a doubling of um, what we've achieved in the last decade in the next 10 years. So, And I, I just think that's is going to be quite remarkable because you could see the end of coal-fired power generation in New South Wales. You could actually see becoming pretty close to the end of coal-fired generation anywhere in Australia, you may find that you can't buy new petrol or diesel car unless it's like, you know, a particularly niche product, you know, a particular size that can go off-road or do whatever um, because near 100% of new vehicle sales will be electric. Um, and um, the consumers are going to be fully engaged with, you know, sort of smart appliances. I mean, if they want to be with sort of smart appliances at home, vehicle to grid, vehicle to home, electric cars, demand management. Um, it's going to be um, quite a different world. Yeah, yeah, it will. I, I, th- I think.
2: I mean, the I'm a little bit excited about it. night. <laughs> <laughs> well, and <laughs> we'll be bringing is. up fifteen years of solar
1: insiders. <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
2: I am excited and the transition has been ahead of all projections there is no doubt about that I do remain a little bit frustrated by how the really smart technology has proven to be a lot tougher than we thought and um, you know we still don't have vehicle to grid uh, really you know, commonly, easily available. We still don't have, you know, a suite of readily available uh, devices to interconnect everything in your home so that it's all smart and automated and all those kinds of things. Um, We still don't have regulations around the country that enable, um, uh, you know, uh, solar in in profligate, Uh, volumes to easily get connected to the grid we still do have a lot of barriers and we still do have a lot of challenges um i hope in five years time we will have overcome those barriers and you know the pace of change seems to be accelerating so
1: you know Mm. i look forward to that episode but the thing about those things that all, and all those things that you mentioned, it's absolutely true. We still don't have them. But It's not because of the lack of technology. I mean, technology would allow it. It's just that there's so much resistance out there at sort of institutional, at industry, at um, yeah. regulatory at and political levy. Because yeah. inertia, because people are so terrified of what those developments will do to their business models um So that's kind of we're at the point now where we've kind of got the technology. We've actually just got to move forward, get this done, implement those changes, adapt the system, and that will happen a lot more easily if we actually had leadership at the federal level and we had a clear indication from our federal politicians and our federal le- leadership that this is actually what we want to do and we will make sure it gets done, because that a brings underwear. a whole bunch of other public yeah. servants into line. And um, yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck, Is that what good luck with yeah, that. Good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> well, we might have. I mean, never know. Look, you know, there's going to be an election oh, by you May, uh, Nigel. Look, we yeah. never know. I mean, your electric could play a play a key role here, Nigel. You've got oh, yeah. climate independent, oh, I think. Yeah. Are you in that electric or are you in the other one? No.
2: I'm on the next one, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, well, they could get rolled. See, they could get rolled by another climate independent. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about oh. it, and I have to say a little a little plug that I'm going to chuck out too. Speaking of you know the old times and the new times and everything else that's coming in a the next uh, the next solar pioneers event in Australia has been announced in March this year. Uh, we will um, we will the the, uh, the oldies have, have organised another pioneers event five years since the last one. That was the first time the, one had ever the solar, the solar oldies. Solar oldies, and they're going to hate me for that, but you know, I'm six months younger than all of them. Um, but uh, they, they um. No, uh, there's another event. The last one was amazing because we realised that, you know, per head of population, we've got probably more pioneers in Australia than most countries around the world, not not unsurprisingly. We've been right at the forefront of this. You yeah, know, almost 100 people were there and and you couldn't come unless you, you didn't get an invite, unless you'd been in the industry 25 years or more. And there were some people who'd already done 35 or more years uh, at that event um this year it gets a little bit easier we've moved the goalpost uh, up five years so you know to be 25 years of service only 1997 which is you know seems like yesterday but uh 1997 if you started in the industry you're about to celebrate 25 years and um so yeah March this year there's going to be an event in Sydney for all of those people to celebrate you know quarter century of good times
1: Remarkable. Well, I hope we get to hear some of them on um, either this podcast or the Great Solar Business Podcast. It'd be fantastic to get um, oh, sure. some reminiscing and some forecasts. And oh, there will uh, be yeah, reminiscing. Some stories. be stories. There'll be stories. Stories. That's right. Maybe we what's should talk about. What's...
2: Yeah, yeah. What's going
1: on? Well, I don't know, Nigel. I haven't actually received the official data, but I understand that you have. So, can you tell our listeners what happened in January in rooftop solar installations? Yes,
2: well, I had the benefit of having a quick chat with Rorick Johnston from Sunwiz today, who shared some uh, some snippets with me. I'm going to have a big chat with him uh, in a few days uh, for Great Solar Business, which would be awesome. Um, But uh, January, um, well, sorry, let's start with last year. 5.2 gigawatts last year of PV was installed, which was um, incredible Um, on the retail. So that's about
1: three gigawatts of rooftop and about two and a bit. Large scale,
2: is that correct? Roughly yeah, it? yeah, that's, yeah. That's, oh, about right. that's about right. That's about right. Well done. Um, residential sales were, were 11% up on 2020, um, which is pretty good, all things considered. It hasn't been the easiest of, of um, years, uh, so that's not a bad result at all. Um, and um, uh, and so through to this year, um, uh, January numbers are just starting to be locked down and looks like we're 25% down on January last year. Now, I've spent the last couple of weeks since I came back to work after my holidays chatting with a lot of solar companies and pretty consistent stories that I was hearing was that first couple of weeks of January was very bumpy and a bit of a slow start. Um, countless stories of um, solar retailers who had, you know, 20%, 30%, some even with 50% of their staff off, either because they were in isolation by being contacts or because they were ill themselves. So um, COVID had a really big impact on the start to the year. Um, of course, everyone was exhausted after a, a fairly arduous year. So that also meant that, uh, you know, some people took a little bit of extended leave, myself included, and and so it was a bit of a, a bit of a rocky start, and that's been played out in the numbers, 25% down compared to last year. Now, having said that, um, in that sort of third week of January, everything was starting to turn a bit of a corner, leads were starting to flow again. Some retailers I spoke to were were um, more than happy. Um, you know, customer demand was there. Leads were, were flowing and starting to build. Um, and and as usual, there were, um, you know, a few companies I talked to who said, yeah, we're off and running like a, like a bull. It's awesome. So, you know, we just got to find the right people and get enough people and get everyone back on deck and, and you know, crank the handle. So I think everyone's fairly optimistic that, um, uh, that we'll roll on.
1: And what about the predictions for the whole year? Then are we? I mean, we've got three gigawatts of rooftop solar last year, which was might have been less than what we forecast halfway through the year, but it's still a record and still up ten percent, as you as as you said before. Are mm. we going to get three gigawatts again in 2022, or um, what's what's going to happen?
2: Well, I'm going to explore that question in great detail with Warwick in the next episode of Great Solar Business. Uh, so. Um, and, and, and I have chatted with a number of people about that in the, the late part of last year, looking at um, uh, STC forecasts, as I do each year as a, as a bit of an advisor. My personal view is, I think, you know, odds on, I think this year could be bigger than last. Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm perhaps... A minority in that view. Um, I, I, maybe, maybe it's fifty-fifty at the moment. I think everyone's very nervous that you know we can we're likely to have a bunch more bumps in the road with restrictions and whatever else that you know um, COVID doesn't seem to be going away quickly anytime soon. And there's a lot of adjusting, and there's supply and demand, and there's price increases, and all sorts of things going on. So you know it's not plain sailing by any means um but what can uh, can
1: you tell me about the supply equation i mean you know we keep on hearing about sort of shipping problems shipping costs shipping delays and things like that i mean is supply an issue for solar modules um if there is a constraint in transport costs i mean what's that doing to the price of solar systems and is it having an impact on demand
2: um I don't think it's affecting consumer sentiment on demand. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a few hundred dollars here, perhaps even a thousand dollars doesn't change the fantastic economics of buying a solar system. Um, it's it's maybe a bit of pill, but, you know, it doesn't really change the economics. Um, so I don't think it'll, my view is I don't think it'll hurt consumer demand too much. Um, but, of course, it squeezes margins, it causes um, a, a lot of pain through the supply chains, and it causes a lot of argy-bargy uh, because, you know, supply and demand is out of kilter, and so people can ask more and demand more if, if supply is tight. And, you know, freight costs remain very high. Um, everyone we spoke to, and I had a big chat with Rami Fedder from uh Solar Juice uh, late last year, he talked about his predictions that it was going to flow through at least until March, some of these consequences. So, you know, um, I think the, the, the jury's out on how much impact it's going to have. I still think, you know, with all the disruptions we've had over the last year or two, my intuition tells me that that's probably subdued uh, the demand that would have otherwise been there for both residential and, you know, small commercial rooftop solar. So I think as soon as, you know, the floodgates are open and everything's available and things flow smoothly, I think we'll see strong demand. Uh, Hence my prediction for at least three gigawatts. Um, You know, we, 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 we are getting to very high penetration rates in many, many areas. Um, a fact that I've heard highlighted uh, by various people recently. So, you know, it's not getting easier, um, but people are getting cleverer with it. So I think we're in for a strong
1: year. Hmm. I'm kind of interested in that sort of high penetration rate thing. I mean, what sort of challenge does that sort of represent? I mean, is it sort of doing installations on more difficult buildings? Is it sort of funding customers who weren't particularly interested before but might be now? Um, What's the big challenge there? Yeah, yeah you, you pretty much nailed it. Um,
2: certainly the roofs are, are, are trickier and trickier and trickier. Um, you know, the complicating factors are all, all more there. Of course, we've got still got export limits in place, left, right and centre. We've got South Australian restrictions um, uh, and relevant agent requirements. they have about to kick off in WA as well, which is, you know, going to disrupt things in WA for a while until everyone gets their head around it. Um and, you know, uh, as as we uh, used to used to speculate 10 or 15 years ago when I was forecasting for a living uh, and trying to project where the solar industry was going, you know, when you get past that sort of 50, 60, 70% rooftop penetration rate, rate uh, which is where we are in many, many postcodes in Australia now, um, you're really, you know, trying to convince the likes of, you know, Keith Pitt, and Craig Kelly <laughs> to wax solar on their house, and you know, ironically, ironically, we know that many of those you know extreme right wing luddite fools that we love so dearly, uh, even many of them have already got solar because they see that it makes economic sense. Uh, but of course, they're a lot tougher customer. So yeah, yeah it gets harder. It. That's all.
1: Throwing a th- throwing a bottle of ivermectin, and you should be right, I think. So. um That's right. right. (laughs) It's pretty simple sales strategy. Um, It's not a switch off. It's um, it's moving. Well, it's not moving. It's extending from across the Nullarbor off to uh, Western Australia. They had a bit of excitement over the Christmas period. I think some people in the Southwest Interconnected System, which is the name of their main grid, and particularly in the Southwest of that Southwest Interconnected System, were out of um, had power outages lasting for around four days and caused mostly by thirty thousand. About thirty thousand. Point. That's right. Yes, yes. yes. So um, a, a fair, a, a fair number. Often in these sort of regional areas, um, uh, not a problem with sort of um, not enough supply, but basically sort of you know just sort of dealing with the heat and mm. um, just sort of melting equipment and sort of um, causing all sorts of issues, which couldn't be readily repaired because there's bushfire dangers at the time. So it was difficult for some of the network teams to come out, but um, anyway. So WA is doing two things. It's doing a big study into that and say what went wrong and how can we fix that. And I do wonder whether that leads more to this sort of modular grid that um, had been planned, about sort of you know sort of less reliance on these sort of big new transmission lines and and more about sort of localized. Um, sort of microgrid type situations. And the other thing is the solar switch off things. So um, going to WA as part of their sort of um, project symphony, well, I don't know whether it's part of the same project, but basically they're sort of rolling out all these different mechanisms, the same sort of software that you talked about earlier on in the podcast um, Nigel, um, but they see a urgent need simply because the amount of solar they have on the grid is actually less than South Australia, but they've got their own challenge of being an isolated grid, so they can't have interconnectors to other grids. So they've got to got to manage it themselves. So yes. a um a whole new challenge for them. It is,
2: it is, and I read uh, read today. I think uh, I think on your website, Giles, there was one point three gigawatts installed uh, so far. So it makes it the largest single generator in the state. So uh mm. so it is it's certainly very very significant um interestingly although it's called uh, project symphony uh the solar component that we're talking about is called the emergency solar management program uh, so i don't know how that fits into a symphony that's the cellos kicking in or the bassoons or something when the solar comes in but anyway um yeah they were i, I sat in on the webinar last night which was the first kind of major um uh, technical um, session uh, for the industry to understand how it was all going to work and whatnot. Um, and um, yeah, it kicks off in 14 days and, and in, in a nutshell, it's quite similar to South Australia in the sense that they say, look, we don't expect it to happen very often. Um, it's, it is for emergency uh, measures only. We can't tell you how often we think that'll happen, but we don't think it will be very often. And it's only going to be when we need to, you know, get voltage or power under control and, and whatnot. Um, 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 The way they're doing it in uh, Western Australia is almost identical to South Australia with one key difference. Uh, They've decided because they can, as a complete statewide monopoly, they're just going to do it all themselves. So companies like Solar Analytics and Greensync and others who invested an enormous amount of time and energy developing uh, really sophisticated and clever value-added services around this Uh, need to be able to control inverters are excluded from the market. Uh, Synergy and Western Power have said, no, 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 no. We're going to exert our monopoly influence here and do it all ourselves. Um, uh, So, and they're doing it in two different ways. Uh, Number one, uh, you can install a meter that has an external relay similar to what they offered in South Australia. Uh, They send a signal to um, uh, to the meter, which then triggers a relay, which then turns the inverter off bit of extra wiring bit of fiddling around you know not a very popular solution in south australia ultimately um but one that is um that was talked about quite a lot last night and the other way is in the same way that it's done in south australia you can use web-based uh internet um, uh, remote control to trigger the inverters to um uh, to switch off Um, now synergy have uh, decided to go direct to the inverter manufacturers themselves um so they'll be dealing with that directly, which is interesting. Um, they've only got six brands approved so far. Now, they, they felt fairly confident they were going to get a whole lot more brands approved. But, of course, within two weeks from today, uh, if your inverter isn't capable of being remotely turned off then uh you won't be able to sell it in uh you won't be able to install it at least in western australia Uh, they're going to need to ramp up number of inverters they've got approved or else that's going to cause some disruption in the market and of course the sad thing about this is even after what is it now more than a year maybe 18 months since south australia launched its program western australia uh, and South Australia have not yet arrived at dynamic export control, which seems like a terrible missed opportunity. Uh, and I'm 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 sad to see that Western Australia isn't there yet. So it's very crude. It it simply turn the whole inverter off, no matter whether you're consuming energy or could self-consume all of that solar or not. Uh, if we think your inverter needs to turn off, we're going to turn it off, and there's an impact to customers on that. Uh, so um yeah, a bit of a bit of a blunt stick, but hopefully. Uh, once we get this up and running and all the uh, the bugs ironed out and a bit of experience from everyone, then we might see dynamic
1: export control rollout in South Australia and WA. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about dynamic export control for a while now. I mean, why hasn't it been installed? I mean, is it go back to that thing that we're talking about, you know, sort of 15 minutes ago about the technology here, but the willingness to actually sort of get it up and running um, isn't quite there, or maybe just people just too busy to... Have it done? Ah, uh, it's a really good question, Giles.
2: I, I, um, I'm actually from from our experience doing inverter integrated. Because as you know, we we do a lot of inverter integrated stuff now. We we collect data and you know work very closely with inverter manufacturers. And from our experience, I would say that the biggest challenge is arguably in the inverter technology because. There is no essentially global standard for this. You know, there are sort of global standards, but Australia is always a little bit different to what's being done elsewhere. And um, although some of the manufacturers, certainly Sungrow, who we um, partnered up with very early, um, we've already tested our dynamic export control functions and capability with them, and we know we can do it. Um, uh, Some of the other brands that we've played with can't do it. Uh, and um, so um, it is somewhat new territory. And, of course, Australia is a great little market, but you can't expect a you know, great big huge global inverter company to completely modify every model in their range to handle a requirement just for South Australia and Western Australia. It's just not reasonable. So I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges. And because it's not exactly aligned with what's happening in other parts of the world, It's just been thrown in a little bit of the too hard basket. And if they can't get a, you know, a quantum of uh, a majority of of inverter manufacturers to say, look, that's painful, but sure, we can do it. Give us six months. We'll, you know, re-engineer our firmware. Um, If they can't get enough uh, inverter manufacturers to to agree to that, that,
1: then it doesn't really solve their problem.
0: Hmm. Oh, well, there you go.
1: Well, that's interesting. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, um, so might, might we see it in South Australia this year? I mean, they haven't talked about it in a while.
2: Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? There was talk after they they did a trial last year. I know there were some real challenges with connectivity. Uh, there was quite a quite a uh, a point made in last night's Western Australian webinar about the uh, mandatory requirement to have these inverters web connected, and uh, you know anyone who's done Wi-Fi connections of inverters knows that's challenging. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, 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 think the dynamic export control, we need to wait and see what the outcomes are from the trials in South Australia that were done and the challenges that they had down there and what they believe can be overcome, uh, and how, uh, and then, and then we take a, a lesson out of that book to go forward.
1: Hmm. Okay. We'll see how that evolves. Roger, yeah. what else? What else we got to um in this first episode? Um, you've got a note here about sort of SMEs, and it's an interesting statistic. Really, no solar retailer has more than three percent market share in Australia. Seems remarkable. I know.
2: I know. It's quite something. Now, it's, you can't always see all the statistics of every single solar company but you can certainly get a very good view courtesy of Sunwiz, who who have got one of the best data sets in the country and and it's not unsurprising uh, necessarily but um, in other ways it is uh, you know there is something in the order of five to six maybe even seven thousand solar companies serving this market and um, that's a good thing. Lots of SMEs, lots of small businesses, lots of uh, little companies all around the country. But of course, to see that market consolidation, market consolidation, i.e. having, you know, some really big dominant players like most industries have, what that brings is scale. It brings the opportunity for economies of scale at, at, at really incredible levels, um, and and you know everybody benefits out of that uh, as a general rule. And there's always room for smaller, medium players, but Australia's gone backwards. We're we're more disparate. We've got more small players and less players with large share, which really got me thinking when I when I tricked, uh, triggered triggered uh, on this issue um it's going to be my theme for this year actually is to explain well if we're actually going backwards in terms of economy of scale how is it that we've got the lowest price in the in in the world how is it that companies are actually surviving on the margins which are super slim how is that actually possible is it possible and so that's actually going to be one of my major themes for this year i think on gsb giles is to really dive into that issue because um
1: no one's dominating. What happened to all the big players? I mean, weren't spo- you know were AGL and Origin and all those sort of people supposed to march into the thing and just sort of snare a great big share of the market? And um, yes, yep, I mean, yes, yep, yes, they were supposed to, but they didn't. <laughs> well, They well, tried.
2: <laughs> in in relative terms, they are materially bigger. You know, three, four, five times bigger than you know their nearest competitors. Uh, you know, and 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 you know. So you know they are very, very large, and there's a little handful of companies right up at that top end of the market who do hold that sort of you know multi digit market share and operate in multiple markets and uh you know some of the big retailers have have come and gone from that space over the years, and some of them are still there um, but no one has really pushed beyond that number, and no one's ever got to the peak of about eight percent uh which uh, a very large solar retailer had. Some years ago, now it's been going backwards ever since. So, yeah, there's still one um,
1: it's a really interesting thing about our market. I think hmm. fascinating stuff. Well, we'll look forward to hearing up on the great solid business uh, as that sort of uh, resumes next week. You say we're first off with Warwick Johnson from Sunwiz, and then um, some other fine players. Not to mention our um, our solar oldies sometime, maybe on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, I think we've done pretty well for a first episode in the searing heat of the of the of the summer. Um, I'm not too sure what's happened today, but um, I think we're sort of going pretty close to sort of having sort of um, supply constraints in New South Wales and Queensland. But I think we might have just sort of squeezed over the line. Thankfully, I should note from a record amount of instantaneous renewables at various points in the day. So, um, we'll wait Probably. to see what happens in the evenings. Famous last words. By the time you hear this podcast, um, <laughs> it might have all gone pear-shaped. But um, yes, yes. Anyway, um, God, that was a risky thing to say. I wonder if I get the. Well, I should get the producer to edit all that out. But still. <laughs> um, we'll go on we'll we'll, we'll, we'll go on regardless because i think it's important for the listeners to work out you know to understand what goes to our you know what, what goes on in our brains um, if that's not too frightening yeah <laughs> perish the thought nigel i can see the end of this podcast happening very quickly i think <laughs> 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 any last words
2: uh here's to 2022. Let's uh mm-hmm. let's hope that everyone had a good break and um you know, let's um let's get rocking and rolling for a big year.
1: Yeah, yeah, all the best to A4 2022 for you and everyone out there, including our sponsors of course, um Sunways, Solar Analytics and Energy and to all the listeners, thanks for your support in the last year some great numbers which i can't just remember off the top of my head but um really gratifying to 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 see them, the downloads that we had, and um i'll report back on those numbers next time and i shouldn't have gone there nigel um but um we'll be back in a fortnight nigel will be back next week with great solid business and, Warwick Johnson from Sunways, and um, we'll talk again soon bye for now
0: Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility scale solar projects. With in house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world leading solar software platform with pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit Sumwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings, and more insights. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.